1: Welcome to the Georgine Rice Show podcast. This program was originally broadcast live on 93.9 KPDQ. We hope you enjoy the show. <laughs>
2: good <laughs> good afternoon. The engineer, the station's engineer and my engineer all rocking out at the mu- <laughs> at the music. I might have been carrying on myself, but we're not going to get into that. Well, welcome to the Georgine Rice Show. Glad to have you with us on this Monday afternoon. I want to thank James Blend producing, Sam Mop and engineering today's program. We're looking forward to a conversation with Jason Thompson, one of my favorite people. He's the executive director of Portland Fellowship, and if you're unfamiliar with this ministry, you need to make sure you're listening at about five fifteen because my conversation with him will explain it all and I'll let you know about what I consider to be one of the most significant ministries in the Portland metro area that is reaching out beyond. Not only the state of Oregon, but all across the country. That's coming up in the 5 o'clock hour. So, hope you'll... uh... Hope you'll stay with us. Well, happy Reformation Day! On this day, over five hundred years ago, an Augustinian priest named Martin Luther nailed his ninety-five theses on the Wittenberg Castle Church door. I had the opportunity years ago to stand in that very place. In his protest against the oppression of man-made religious traditions, he boldly declared that salvation was only by grace, only through faith, and only through Jesus. A thousand years of spiritual. Uh, Darkness was pierced and the Reformation began. Everything we celebrate and experience in modern evangelical Christianity began that day. Well, a single event on a single day changed the world. It was October 31st, 1517. Brother Martin, a monk and a scholar, had struggled for years with his church, the Church of Rome, He'd been greatly disturbed by an unprecedented indulgence sale. Well, the story has all the makings of a Hollywood blockbuster. First, there was the young bishop, too young by church laws, Albert of Maines. Not only was he bishop over two bishoprics, he desired an additional archbishopric over Maines. Well, this, too, was against church laws. So Albert appealed to the pope in Rome, Leo X, from the uh, the Medici family. Leo X greedily allowed his um, Tastes to exceed his financial resources enter the artists and sculptures, Raphael and Michelangelo. When Albert of Mainz appealed for a papal dispensation, Leo X was ready to deal. Albert, with the papal blessing, would sell indulgences for past, present, and future sins. All of this sickened Martin Luther. Can we buy our way into heaven? He asked, and he had to speak out. But why October 31st? Well, November 1st held a special place in the church calendar as All Saints Day. On November 1st, 1517, a massive exhibit of newly acquired relics would be on display at Wittenberg, Luther's home city. Pilgrims would come from all over, genuflect before the relics, and take hundreds, if not thousands, of years off time in purgatory. Luther's soul grew even more vexed. None of this seemed right. Well, Martin Luther, a scholar, took quill in hand, he dipped it in his inkwell, and he penned the 95 Theses on October 31st, 1517. Well, these were uh, intended to spark a debate, to stir some soul-searching among his fellow brothers in the church. It was not designed to uh, break the church. Uh, The 95 Theses sparked far more than debate. The... uh, Thesis also revealed the church was far beyond rehabilitation in his mind. It needed a a reformation. The church and the world would never be the same as a consequence. One of Luther's 95 theses simply declares the church's true treasure is the gospel of Jesus Christ. That alone is the meaning of Reformation Day. The church had lost sight of the gospel because it had long ago uh, papered over the pages of God's word with the layer upon layer of tradition. Mere tradition often brings about Systems of works of earning your way back to God. And it um, it was true of the Pharisees. It was true of the medieval Roman Catholic Catholic Church. And it's been true since. Didn't Christ himself say my yoke is easy and my burden is light. The Reformation Day celebrates the joyful beauty of the liberating gospel of Jesus Christ. Now, I had more to say, but I received earlier in the day an email from local pastor Greg Allen, who oftentimes uh, fills in as guest host on this program and I thought it would be good to hear what he had to say. So I'm gonna just read from what he had written uh, why October 31st is vital to all freedom loving people and it has nothing to do with costumes and candy. He writes, it was on this day, five hundred and five years ago, that an Augustinian monk nailed a document to the door of the castle church in Wittenberg. It was the hammer blow heard round the world. That document contained 95 concerns that Martin Luther wished to submit for scholarly debate and discussion, matters that had been brewing in his mind and conscience for some time. They had to uh, to do with the church's teaching on how a man or woman is made righteous in the sight of God. This document was taken from the wall, and by use of an amazing new invention, the printing press, it was copied and distributed to people everywhere, and thus the Protestant Reformation was begun. There were many things that happened as a result, and they happened through the labors of many other reformers who followed after Luther. Some of those things were good and some things were not so good. None of the reformers was perfect as none of us are. But the importance of those reformers wasn't because of anything that they innovated. Instead, their greatest contribution to the world was that they rediscovered a great truth that had been recorded for us all along in the ancient text of the Bible. And as more and more copies of the Bible began to be translated and printed and made available to common people everywhere, that great truth was also rediscovered by more and more people all to the salvation of their souls. That doctrine, the great doctrine of justification by faith, is in a very practical sense the greatest and most liberating doctrine the world had ever heard. No other doctrine has had more power to set people free in more ways than the doctrine of justification by faith in Jesus Christ. Now, mind you, this was a restatement of what the scriptures had already preached. Now, if you look across the history of the past two thousand years and all the way up to our own time. You discover that wherever in the world this great doctrine has been suppressed or hidden from people, they have themselves become oppressed and enslaved by other human beings. By suppressing this great truth, people who were made in the image of God were thus falsely made beholden to other human beings for the salvation of their own souls. But wherever this great doctrine has been faithfully proclaimed in every nation or people group where the truth has been understood and preached and allowed to take root, people claim freedom as an. An alienable right from God. Even today, so long as they embrace this doctrine and cling to it, people can no longer be kept in debt to other people, uh, other human beings for their souls. Ruling human authorities, emperors, kings, presidents and governors may have a temporal power over people. And just so when this when that power is exercised in accordance with the clear teachings of Scripture and the consent of the people. But because of the implication of this doctrine, the temporal authority of those rulers becomes strictly limited. And the power over the souls and conscience of men is taken completely out of their hands. The word of God declares that people are made righteous in God's sight as a free gift of God's grace through faith in Jesus Christ alone and not in any way that is dependent upon the say so of other human beings as Jesus himself, the savior of all humankind has declared. Therefore, if the son makes you free, you shall be free indeed. And that is why free people everywhere have loved this doctrine it also, it's also why tyrants around the world have always hated it and have always sought to suppress it. This doctrine prevents people from being obliged to human rulers and authorities in an ultimate sense. This great doctrine is even the basis of our own freedom as citizens as the United States. Our freedom did not come to us as a newly conceived idea from the minds of our founding fathers, nor does it even have its ultimate base in our Constitution. Our founding fathers didn't write that Constitution or the Declaration of Independence that it that preceded it. In an historic vacuum, they were the products of a worldview that they inherited from the pilgrims. And those pilgrim fathers were heirs of the Protestant Reformation. And the greatest doctrine of the Protestant Reformation, drawn from right out of the blessings of a uh, blessed word of God itself, was that a woman or a man is made 100 percent accepted in the sight of God, our creator, as a free gift of his grace, received by faith alone in the finished work of his son, Jesus Christ, on the cross. And that's why this day is important. We ought to celebrate October 31st, not as Halloween, but as the 505th anniversary of the day Martin Luther nailed the 95 theses on the Wittenberg church door. It marks the beginning of the great rediscovery of the life-giving and soul-liberating doctrine of justification by faith. Happy Reformation Day. And again, written by local pastor Greg Allen. We'll be back.
1: You're listening to the Georgine Rice Show podcast. It's aired on 93.9 KPDQ.
2: Hey, welcome back. You're listening to the Georgine Rice Show. The best is yet to come. Coming up in our second hour, a conversation with Jason Thompson, Executive Director of Portland Fellowship. So stick around. Well, the majority of Protestant pastors in the United States don't advise Christians to avoid Halloween entirely, and many instead encourage churchgoers to use the holiday to build relationships with neighbors and share the gospel, according to a new poll. Only 13 percent advise Christians to avoid the, uh, the occasion completely, according to the survey. Well, the survey of about a thousand Protestant pastors in the U.S. released this month by Lifeway Research finds that 71 percent say they encourage their church members to invite friends to, or neighbors to church events on or near Halloween, such as a fall festival, trunk uh, or treat, trunk or treat, or judgment house. Not heard of some of those. Anyway, nearly three in five pastors, 58%, say they want church members to build relationships with neighbors who do trick or treat. And um, about a third, 34%, encourage church members to hound out gospel tracts to trick-or-treaters. Now, if you don't want them to hate you, put a little candy with that because it's going to be really disappointing if that's all they get. Anyway, just over one out of 10 pastors surveyed, about 13%, say they discourage their church members from participating in Halloween festivities, an increase from 8% of pastors who said the same in 2016. By the way, whether or not you, are a, uh, you embrace all things Halloween, which includes trick-or-treating, Uh, Be sure you're careful out there because there are probably lots of little people roaming the streets, some lighted, some not, uh, seeking to um, extort candy from your neighbors. So be careful when you're driving. All right. It's hard to remember now, given the attempts to overturn the 2020 presidential election, but the day after votes were cast, one theme stood out. Voter turnout. Every state in the nation saw higher turnout in 2020. Then in 2016, according to an analysis from the Pew Research Center, and of course, Election Day is coming up November 8th. Overall, there were more than 158 million votes cast, according to the Federal Elections Commission, nearly 22 percent or rather 22 million more than just four years prior. Now, turnout will likely play an outsized role in the 2022 midterms, too, as voters determine what political party will be in control of the U.S. House of Representatives and the Senate in January of 23. Now, the truth is most people don't vote based on what the outcome will be in Washington. They vote for the representative, either in the Senate or the House, that they believe will best represent them. But it will have an impact on uh, the numbers in the House and Senate. Well, as a political scientist who studied the intersection of religion and politics Uh, Ryan Burge of Eastern Illinois University uh, says that he's interested in which groups may have a strong impact on the balance of power and if the data in any guide uh, that are two key communities political analysts often overlook, atheists and agnostics. Well, in 2008, almost 8% of the entire U.S. population claimed to be atheist or agnostic, according to an analysis of data from the Cooperative Election Study. An annual survey coordinated by a team of Harvard University, atheists believe that there is no higher power in the universe, while agnostics contend that a higher power may exist, but it's impossible to know for certain. I find that many agnostics just don't want to resolve the uh, the issue either way. By 2021, that share has risen to just about 12 percent, but the atheists and agnostics are often left leaning in their political persuasion and Um, Their rapid ascendance in the American religious landscape is proving much more consequential to the Democratic Party than the GOP. It's kind of an interesting analysis. Just 4% of people who align with the Republican Party say that they are atheist or agnostic, but 4%. That same figure was 3% when Barack Obama won the White House in 2008. However, according to the new analysis, the new data, one in five Democrats today are atheist or agnostic, an increase of 8 percentage points since 2008. Well, just because these groups have increased as a percentage of the overall population doesn't necessarily mean their growth will translate to political wins During the midterms, while political scientists have struggled with how to measure voter turnout through survey data, it's possible to use other measures to infer just how politically active atheists and agnostics are. And there's strong evidence that they will make their presence felt on Election Day. Well, the study asks responders if they have engaged in a number of political activities over the prior 12 months. Secular Americans' political engagement comes into sharper focus when their behavior is compared with that of another group, one that's often considered very politically active, and that's white evangelicals. Now, over the past 40 years, the religious right has won many victories by organizing a loose coalition of theologically and politically conservative faith groups to vote, advocate, and agitate. Overturning Roe v.ersus Wade's decision, for example, which the Supreme Court did in June of this year, was a long-cherished goal of that movement, resulting in several states banning abortion in nearly all circumstances. In 2020, 8% of white evangelicals attended a political meeting such as school board or city council, according to the study, yet the percentage is even higher for atheists at 11% and agnostics at 10%. There was also a small difference in the data about putting up a political yard sign or bumper sticker. Among atheists, 27% had done so compared with 21% of white evangelicals. Now this is a narrower slice because we're only talking about Caucasian evangelicals for the purpose of their study. However, when it comes to political protests, there's no doubt that secular Americans are more politically engaged. In 2020, 18 of atheists, 16% of agnostics said that they had gone to a march or rally about a political issue versus 5% of white evangelicals. And when it comes to donations, the gulf is even wider. In 2020, half of all atheists made a political donation, along with 46% of, uh, rather, th- 43% of agnostics. By comparison, only about a quarter of white evangelicals made a political donation to a candidate or party. Well, you get the idea of the study. Uh, trying to determine what kind of impact they are likely to have. Democratic candidates have shown increasing awareness that they are becoming more dependent on secular voters. For instance, in April of 2018, members of Congress founded the Congressional Free Thought Caucus to specifically focus on these voters' needs and concerns. And though atheists and agnostics are still a relatively small portion of the population, there's strong evidence they will make their voices heard during the 2022 midterms and help campaigns with funding and support at every stage, not just on Election Day. Whether Republicans can counter this level of engagement from a specific religious group will be a key question of the upcoming midterms that are just days away. Again, Ryan Burge um, making the point and being involved in this study. He's an assistant professor for political science at Eastern Illinois University, and the uh, study was published in The Conversation under a Creative Commons license, and you can uh, look for more on that. Meanwhile, the remaining COVID-19 emergency orders, including the statewide state of emergency declaration, ends today, October 31st, in the state of Washington, more than two years after it began. Governor Jay Inslee announced last month the ending date for the remaining emergency orders. Nearly 75 percent of his 85 emergency orders were lifted before his announcement in September, and an additional 13 health care related orders ended last week. The state of emergency orders was originally declared in February the 29th of 2020. Ending this order does not mean we take it less seriously or will lose focus, the governor said, on how this virus has changed the way we live. We will continue our commitments to the public's well-beings, but simply through different tools that are now more appropriate for the era that we've entered, end quote. Well, the emergency orders ending Monday include COVID-19 vaccination requirement, safe workers. Child and youth mental health crisis, restrictions on traveling, safeguarding public trust and stability in local health jurisdictions, Public Records Act, contract uh, tracing, contact tracing, annual leave and pay procedures, Washington Ready, a program there, higher education, K-12 through schools, COVID-19 state of emergency. Uh, Although the COVID-19 pandemic remains ongoing, the governor's office said it's no longer an emergency thanks to vaccination efforts, medical treatment and the mitigation efforts of Washingtonians. So freedom in Washington. Bondage remains in place in Oregon, but there is an election coming up. We need to take a quick break. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show. We'll be back in mere moments.
1: You're listening to the Georgine Rice Show podcast is aired on 93.9 KPDQ.
2: Hey, welcome back. You're listening to the Georgine Rice Show. Well, it was a full frontal assault in the U.S. Supreme Court today as the justices took up the subject of affirmative action as it relates to Asian students at Harvard. And Yale. Well, Justice Clarence Thomas pressed North Carolina's Solicitor General to explain how the University of North Carolina defines diversity during oral arguments uh, today in the Supreme Court case centered around the use of race as a factor in college admissions. I've heard the word diversity quite a few times, and I don't have a clue what it means, said Thomas. It seems to mean everything for everyone. In other words, it has no specific meaning. Students for Fair Admissions has challenged the race-based admissions policies of both Harvard and the University of California. I think I mentioned Yale. That was incorrect. Uh, the University of North Carolina at Chapel Hill, accusing both schools of discriminating against Asian-American applicants. The cases were initially merged but are now being heard separately after Justice Ketanji Brown-Jackson. She uh, recused herself from the Harvard case because she had previously served on the university's board of overseers. Well, the cases opened the door for the Supreme Court's 6-3 to three conservative majority to reconsider its 2003 ruling in Uh, Grutter versus Bollinger, which allowed race to be used as a factor in college admissions to achieve student body diversity. uh, Justice Sandra Day O'Connor wrote for the Grutter. Uh, Grutter uh, majority that race should be used as a plus factor and argue that such usage does not violate the 14th Amendment Equal Protection Clause. Thomas asked Ryan Park, the North Carolina Solicitor General, to offer a specific definition of diversity in the context of UNC and provide a clear idea of what the educational benefits of diversity at the school would be. First, we define diversity the way this court has in its court's precedence, which means a broadly diverse set of criteria that extends to all different backgrounds and perspectives and not solely limited to race, said Park, before adding that there are many, um, many different diversity factors that are considered as the greater factor in our admissions process than race. I didn't go to racially diverse schools, but there were educational benefits, relied Thomas, before again pushing for Park to list specific educational benefits. Park said that there is a truth-seeking function of learning in a diverse environment and pointed out that certain studies have found that racially diverse groups of people making stock trading decisions perform at a higher level and make more efficient trading decisions. The mechanism there is to reduce groupthink and people have longer and more sustained disagreement, and that leads to a more efficient outcome, Park said. Well, the Justice Thomas said he doesn't put much stock in that because I've heard similar arguments in favor of segregation, too. Later, Thomas, who is African-American, asked about the percentage difference between a non-racial approach and the school's race-conscious approach to admissions. Park answered that around... 1.2% of the applicant's pool as a whole is affected by its program. So do you think that 1.2% marginal difference is enough of a compelling interest to continue a race-based program, Thomas asked? Well, Park replied that the school considers race only minimally. We think that... uh, We would not face some of the struggles that we do in terms of admitting and enrolling underrepresented minorities if we considered it to be a larger extent. But we have chosen to be guided by this court's precedence to consider it only minimally, he said. The Supreme Court will likely announce its decision in both the UNC and Harvard cases sometime next year. But a decision will be made, a vote taken on Friday of this week. Nine states have already ended consideration of race and university admissions, including Arizona, California, Florida, Idaho, Michigan, Nebraska, Oklahoma, and Washington. Meanwhile, Supreme Court um, hearing the arguments. Katanji Brown Jackson, she clashed with anti-affirmative action lawyers during the Supreme Court arguments. The Justice Monday clashed with a lawyer for a student group seeking to end affirmative action in college admissions as the justice challenged whether the group has standing to sue. Why is it that race is doing anything different to your members' ability to compete in this environment in comparison to a number of other factors involved in admissions? Jackson asked Students for Fair Admissions lawyer Patrick Strawbridge. It's in the context of all the other factors the admissions office is looking at, Jackson added. You haven't um, demonstrated or shown one situation in which all they look at is race. They're looking at the full person, the uh, justice said. Well, Jackson also said that the SFFA seemed to be looking for a special standing in the case. Standing is a legal term for the harm suffered by one person that allows that person or group to sue the court to um, if it... um, It can be remedied. Well, Strawbridge admitted that race is almost never the only factor in a college admission decision. However, he argued that the fact that it is one factor that tips the scales unfairly for at least some applicants, in particular, Asian students. It makes no sense in a zero-sum game if we are going to consider race, and we argue that a racial classification, which is highly disfavored at law because of its necessary, invidious nature, is going to be used. It clearly must be doing some work, Strawbridge Strawbridge Rather told Justice Jackson, he argued schools that use affirmative action are making distinctions upon who uh, it will admit, at least in part on race of the applicant. Some races get a benefit. Some races do not get a benefit. And it went on from there. It was a fiery uh, hearing. And again, a vote is expected to be taken uh, on Friday, but it will be months before the decisions are written and released. So we'll just have to wait. Well, a Democratic prosecutor in the Chicago area is sounding the alarm over a criminal justice reform law that will tie the hands of prosecutors and destroy the criminal justice system in Illinois. Well, the Safety, Accountability, Fairness and Equity Today, or Safety Act, signed by Illinois Governor J.B. Pritzker um, in 2021, will implement sweeping reforms of Illinois' uh, criminal justice system, though it has drawn criticism from law enforcement professionals across the political spectrum. Will County State's attorney James Glasgow told Fox News uh, Digital, I've never in my 40 years in this profession ever thought I'd ever see anything close to this. The intent of this law is to destroy the criminal justice system in Illinois, and I'm not going to let that happen, end quote. Well, saying this is false, Elon Musk swats down the New York Times report about him firing Twitter employees to save money. A class clown, Washington State School District appoints a board um. appoints the board director who once labeled cops, pigs and encouraged riots. The district said um, that Ms. Reed was chosen among other candidates because of her background and the quality of answers she gave during the interview process. Her prior actions apparently made no difference. Religious persecution, a shocking new report from the British government, details that the violent persecution of Christian minority populations continues unabated in the Islamic Republic of Iran. Simply being a Christian is enough to get you arrested in the Muslim-majority country, noted the United Kingdom's study on Christians and Christian converts in Iran. The report said that many arrests reportedly took place during police raids on religious gatherings and that Christians, particularly evangelicals and converts from Islam, continue to experience disproportionate levels of arrest and detention. Now, coming up this next weekend is the uh, Sunday to pray for the persecuted church. Tomorrow we'll talk about that subject uh, with my guest, uh, that will be Ariel Del Turco. She's with the Family Research Council's Center for Religious Liberty. So we'll talk not only about what's happening to Christians in Iran, but Christians elsewhere around the world who are persecuted for their faith. And we in Scripture are told to uh, to pray and express our concern for those who are persecuted as if we ourselves are being persecuted. Let's not forget Persecuted believers, a house divided. Democrats have turned on party leadership as midterm hopes fade despite supportive voting records. And Good Old Boys Club, Georgia Democratic gubernatorial nominee Stacey Abrams, she took a shot at county sheriffs throughout the state while proclaiming her support for law enforcement during a Sunday night debate against Republican Governor Brian Kemp. During an exchange between the two, Kemp attacked Abrams for past comments she made, which seemed to suggest that she supported defunding the police despite never explicitly stating that fact. Citing the risk of violence, a U.S. cybersecurity official warns of a complex threat environment going into the midterm elections might be a good thing to pray about with much at stake. The U S Supreme court is considering banning race in college admissions and demonizing speaker. A Washington post report is being blasted as a propaganda operation for tying the Paul Pelosi attack to the GOP. Trey Gowdy points out that political violence has become a recurring theme in American politics. The Florida medical board approves banning puberty blockers for uh, my, for Uh, minors we'll tell you more about that when we come back from the break but according to sam i do need to take one hey you're listening to the Georgine rice show coming up later in the second hour a conversation with jason thompson the executive director of portland fellowship if you're unfamiliar with this organization man you're missing out they're doing incredible ministry not just here at home but really around the world that's coming up right here on the Georgine rice show
1: You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show podcast. It's aired on 93.9 KPDQ.
2: Hey, we're back. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show. Well, the Florida Medical Board has approved banning puberty blockers. National Review reports that the Board and State Board of Osteopathic Medicine has approved a plan to ban puberty blockers and sex reassignment surgery as treatments for transgender minors in the state. Florida's decision comes in the wake of the United Kingdom closing its sole gender dysphoria clinic. Following an internal investigation found that the clinic pursued an unquestioning affirmative approach and pressured staff to embrace a blind acceptance of said treatment. Chloe Cole writes that um, her physical body was beautiful. Now they've been incinerated for nothing. Thank you, Modern Medicine. My public comment at the Florida Board of Medicine meeting at Florida in Orlando today. Well, New York Governor Kathy Hochul declared herself the underdog in the race against Lee Zeldin. She is currently the incumbent. Well, New York Governor Kathy Hochul professed to be the underdog when asked if she has any regrets about how she has run her campaign to retain her position. A 538 polling average of her race shows she's almost a seven point lead over her Republican challenger, Lee Zeldin, with real clear politics average pegs. Uh, It uh, it was close as six points. Four months ago, she had 18 to 19 point lead, according to the two uh, aggregators. The last time New York favored a Republican president was in, I should say, uh, yeah, president was in 1984. And Joe Biden won the state by 23 points just two years ago. As education is flailing, Democrats blame COVID rather than the lockdowns. Two years after consecutive uh, months of disrupted learning caused serious setbacks in the education of America's school-age children. The administration is blaming the COVID-19 ban- pandemic and not the government-mandated school closures. Nation's Report Cards says from 2019 to 2022, the average math scores for 4th and 8th graders declined in most states and uh, participating urban districts. Reading scores, however, remained steady in several areas. Economists say financially, at least America's schools have been fairly well supported. Some one hundred and ninety billion dollars of federal relief money has flowed to schools since the start of the pandemic, equal to about one quarter of what America spends on public schools in a normal year. Town Hall's decision desk predicts Republicans will win the Senate fifty one to forty nine. So just kind of flipping the majority. Spencer Brown from Decision Desk HQ, Town Hall's official election results partner, released its latest projection for the midterm elections just more than one week away and reflects the momentum for Republican candidates that Town Hall has reported in the final weeks of the 2022 cycle. Republicans are favored to win control of the U.S. Senate for the first time since it was released um, the election's forecast. The model currently predicts that Republicans have a 50.4% chance of control, and the mean seat projection is 51 to 49. Country star Luke Bryan is in leftist crosshairs after inviting Republican Governor DeSantis on stage. Liberals have vowed to cancel country singer Luke Bryan after he brought out Florida Governor Ron DeSantis during a concert in Jacksonville on Friday, an event held to raise money for Hurricane Ian relief effort for the embattled state. The surprise appearance saw the Republican governor showered with cheers as he took the stage, sentiments that were not shared by the woke masses online. While the response in person was deafening on social media, the masses were quick to criticize Bryan for associating with the governor. Several users were highly critical of DeSantis himself, as well as his policies, with one person writing, Is anyone really surprised that Luke Bryan supports a racist, misogynistic authoritarian? Another person tagged Bryan writing, Thanks for shaking hands with a with and lifting up the governor who just endangered the lives of trans kids in my state by taking away their health care. I just spent yesterday fighting for those kids. You're trash and we see you. Wow. Well, the um, artist suggested that uh, when a governor... Uh, is asking for people to help bring relief to the state worldwide or, or statewide following a disaster. He would have invited any governor to make that plea from the crowd. It was not a political endorsement. Well, but that doesn't matter these days. Just standing in close proximity is enough. You are condemned. Odds are given, um, are being given to Republicans in gubernatorial races. Kathy Hochul's lead over Republican Lee Zeldin is narrowing in New York gubernatorial race with less than two weeks to uh, to go from the November midterms. According to Emerson College polling, the poll released Friday found that the governor received 50 percent of support among very likely voters in the slate compared to Zeldin's 44. But there are other races as well. Well, Elon Musk has cleaned house at Twitter. The Washington Examiner reports that upon taking over the social media company this week, the self-proclaimed chief twit cast out four of the top executives for cause in an apparent effort to avoid paying them their multi-million dollar severance packages. The specific reason for firing top executives, including CEO Parag Agrawal, CFO Ned Segal, General Counsel Sean Edgett, and the company's top lawyer, are unknown. But the action of firing them with cause will likely be challenged in court. As inflation surges, Democrats protect President Biden, a measure of inflation that is closely monitored by the Federal Reserve, remained painfully high last month, the latest sign that prices for most goods and services in the United States are still rising steadily. Friday's report from the Commerce Department showed that prices rose 6.2 percent in September from 12 months earlier, the same year-over-year rate as in August. The latest um, price figures come just as Americans have begun voting in midterm elections in which Democrats control Congress uh, is at stake and inflation has shot to the top of voters concerns. Republicans have heaped blame on the president, as politicians will, and congressional Democrats for the, the skyrocketing prices that have buffeted households across the country. There's still those who do not blame Biden for record inflation. RNC Research says that Democrat Representative Jamal Bowman said the issue of inflation is not related to Democrats or Biden's fault. It's a problem at the core of our economic system that has been there for a very long time. Huh. Glamour magazine's Brazilian woman of the year has been awarded to a male this week. Glamour magazine's Brazil franchise announced the winner of its generation glamour event honoring women out of 15 categories. Two of the female focused awards went to trans identified males, including woman of the year. A male social media influencer took home the top award, despite the fact that he has stated he does not identify as a woman and does not believe women exist. OK, we'll leave it at that. President Biden, although he did seem to accept the award, kind of troubling. President Biden claimed Democrats campaigned in 54 states for Obamacare. The president needs to take a few history classes after the embarrassing mistake he made during the Pennsylvania Democratic Party reception. During his speech, the president claimed that Democrats campaigned in 54 states in 2018 to defend Obamacare. Rob Schneider says the president says there are 54 states in America. Next speech, he will explain the 81 million voters. Joe Biden now says there are 54 states. I guess if you count the states of denial, confusion, delusion and disaster that his regime has caused, he just might be on to something, Lauren Boebert suggests. Well, Twitter fact-checked the president on Friday in an effort to um, stump for Democratic candidates who are facing strong political headwinds thanks to large measures to his own policies. The president posted a dubious claim on his official Twitter account that he labeled as facts. The post um, Said, Let me give you the facts. In 2020, 55 corporations made $40 billion and they paid zero in federal taxes. My Inflation Reduction Act puts an end to this. Twitter almost immediately affixed a fact-checked context label to the president's post with several sources uh, linking the tacitly refuted Biden claim, including a note from the Washington Post. Out of 55 corporations, the tweet references only 14 had uh, earnings greater than one billion dollars and would be eligible for Biden's law. Twitter fact check the president's uh, comes on the heels of Elon Musk taking ownership of the social media giant last week. The fact check also brought several positive responses from conservatives and Republicans who gleefully celebrated Twitter finally checking a Democrat falsehood. The Fed is losing money thanks to inflation at a 40 year high in the Federal Reserve. Uh, their response to raising interest rates by 3.35% so far this year and another 0.75% um, increase expected before the year's end. The central bank is now losing money. Interest payouts now exceed the Fed's interest income on the roughly $8.3 trillion In the U.S. Treasury that the Fed has accumulated over the last 14 years, the Fed has an eight point seven trillion dollar asset portfolio made up of mostly interest bearing assets, providing a two point three percent average yield. Though given the current high rate of inflation and growing interest rate, the Fed's payouts will likely exceed its interest earnings for the next couple of years. Former senior Fed economist Seth Carpenter explained the losses can grow over time if they keep raising short-term interest rates, which it seems likely they will because the mismatch between interest income and interest expense will rise. So the Fed will uh, operate at a loss for the foreseeable future with an expectation that once the inflation rate gets under control, and we all hope and pray it will, the net negative will turn positive likely in a few years, Carpenter estimates, adding at this point, well, they just have to live with it. Hey, you're listening to the Georgine Rice Show. We've got news and traffic coming up at the top of the hour. And in the second hour, a conversation with Jason Thompson, Executive Director of Portland Fellowship. We'll be back.
1: You're listening to the Georgine Rice Show podcast. It's aired on 93.9 KPDQ.
2: Welcome back. You're listening to the second hour of the Georgine Rice Show. Coming up on our next segment, a much anticipated conversation with my friend Jason Thompson. He is the executive director of Portland Fellowship, and they're doing some tremendous work. We'll fill you in when he joins me in our next couple of segments. Well, a GOP report argues the lab leak theory is the most likely explanation of COVID-19. ProPublica says the Wuhan Institute of Virology was a biocomplex in crisis in November of 2019. Well, the IRS says tax compliance is rising, but hundreds of billions still go uncollected. But fear not, hundreds of thousands of IRS workers will soon be hired. Well, core prices in the personal consumption expenditures price index climbed for the second month in a row in September, mirroring the consumer price index and showing rising Uh, Core uh, amid stubbornly high overall inflation. Core prices which discount the more volatile prices of food and energy. And as the Federal Reserve's preferred inflation measure were up 5.1% annually in September from 4.9% in August and grew 0.5% on a monthly basis for the second month in a row. Core prices as measured by the CP rose by 6.6% annually in September and 0.6% on a monthly basis, according to the Bureau of Labor Statistics. One key difference between the two measures of the CPI focused on the out-of-pocket costs faced by urban consumers, while the PCE measures the prices faced by all households and nonprofit institutions that serve households, according to the uh, report again the pc is the personal consumption expenditure as opposed to the consumer price index donald trump says he won't be returning to twitter and amazon uh, is banning another book that leftists hate some suggesting it's a fascist move and outside of school america's teens average 70 hours per week glued to screens 70 hours per week that's incredible Well, that aside, on this day in history, 1941, where there were no screens to attach oneself to, work is completed on the Mount Rushmore National Memorial in South Dakota. It's on my bucket list to have a... Uh, a look at that. A gander, if you will. Also in 1941, the Navy destroyer USS Reuben James is torpedoed by a German U-boat off uh, off Iceland with a loss of some 100 lives, even though the United States has not yet entered World War Two. 1961, the bottle body rather of Joseph Stalin is removed from Lenin's tomb as part of the Soviet Union's de-Stalinization drive. 1968. On this day in history, President Lyndon Baines Johnson orders a halt to all U.S. bombing of North Vietnam, saying he hopes for fruitful peace negotiations. 1984. Indian Prime Minister Indira Gandhi is assassinated by two Sikh security guards. 1992. Pope John Paul II formally proclaims the Catholic, uh, the Roman Catholic Church erred in condemning the astronomer Galileo. For holding that the Earth was not at the center of the universe. 1998, a generic, uh, genetic um, study, it was a genetic study, is released suggesting President Thomas Jefferson did, in fact, father at least one child by his slave Sally Hemings. 1999, Egypt Air Flight 990, bound for New York to Cairo, crashes off of Massachusetts coast, killing 217 aboard. 2013, the Federal Aviation Administration issues new guidelines allowing airline passengers to keep their electronic devices turned on throughout the entire flight, but not to talk on their cell phones. And finally, on this day in history, 2017, at least eight people are killed and 11 injured after a motorist drives a rented pickup truck onto a busy bicycle path near the World Trade Center Memorial on Lower Manhattan. Well, Paul Pelosi's uh, Attacker has been charged and he had apparently a list of other people to target, according to police. The 42 year old, whose name I won't mention because that may be part of his motivation to have some sense of notoriety, has been called mentally ill and posted online about conspiracy uh, conspiracy theories. The man accused of breaking into House Speaker Nancy Pelosi's California home and assaulting her husband had a list of other people to target as well. The 42 year old allegedly broke into the uh, home Friday morning and uh, struck Paul Pelosi at least once with a hammer. Police now say they recovered a list of uh, belonging to the uh, perpetrator of other potential targets, though they stopped short of calling, referring to it as a hit list, according to CBS News. The existence of the list has previously been reported, though police have not yet released any names on that list. Police responded to the home at 2 a.m. on Friday to find the perpetrator and um, Mr. Pelosi struggling over a hammer. Pelosi was reportedly able to call the police by saying he needed to go to the bathroom. Pape is uh, a conspiracy theorist, again, the perpetrator, who frequently posted online has been mentally ill for a long time, according to his uh, ex-life partner. Well, she herself, uh, a jailed um, nudist activist convicted on child abduction charges, Claimed in an interview with ABC7, the local affiliate, uh, to have raised two sons with him, along with uh, her daughter, uh, for a, from a previous relationship. Uh, she went into detail uh, one incident in which he reportedly came home after disappearing for almost a year out of the blue. Well, the perpetrator faces charges of attempted homicide, assault with a deadly weapon, elder abuse, burglary and other felonies following the incident. Uh, Nancy has been uh, visiting her husband in the hospital on Sunday, her first public appearance since the attack. The White House press secretary uh, compared the incident to the January 6th storming of the U.S. Capitol. Of course, there is no comparison during an MSNBC appearance on Sunday attributing the attack to Republican rhetoric. Interestingly, she had very little or nothing to say when the Supreme Court justice's life was threatened. It seems to me that any threat to any politician ought to be repudiated by everyone But that, sadly, is not where we are today. Well, Anders Hangstrom, a reporter for Fox News Digital covering the national politics, uh, worked as a White House correspondent covering the event. And the uh, perpetrator could spend significant time behind bars following this attack, as should be the case when any politician, federal or otherwise, for that matter, any civilian, is attacked around the country. Well, the Florida Board of Medicine and the State Board of Osteopathic Medicine has approved a plan to ban puberty blockers and sex reassignment surgery as treatments for transgender minors in the state. The validity of gender reassignment surgery and puberty blockers as treatment for gender dysphoria remains deeply contested. While a Columbia University study argues, for example, that gender-affirming care can improve the mental health and overall well-being of gender-diverse, transgender, non-binary children and adolescents, many argue the opposite. According to journalist Abigail Schreier, nearly three-quarters of kids typically outgrow gender dysphoria symptoms." Florida's decision comes in the wake of the United Kingdom closing its sole gender dysphoria uh, clinic uh, following an internal investigation found that the clinic pursued an unquestioning affirmative approach and pressured staff embrace of a blind acceptance of such treatments. The clinical approach has to be um, uh, mindful of the risks of an inappropriate gender transition and the difficulties that the child may experience in returning to the original gender role upon entering puberty. If the gender incongruence does not persist, end quote, the report stated the Florida Joint Medical Board will finalize the vote this week. And finally, Elon Musk has dissolved Twitter's board of directors and appointed himself the company's sole director, according to a Monday securities filing. Immediately after uh, completing a $44 billion acquisition of Twitter on Thursday, he fired several senior executives, including the CEO. His move is the latest in a series of overhauls he's planning on implementing On Sunday, he announced that Twitter was uh, contemplating revamping its entire approach to the blue verification badges displayed on profiles to authenticate users. Whole verification process is being revamped right now, Musk cryptically tweeted at the time. Will be interesting to watch what happens next. Hey, you're listening to The Georgine Rice Show. Up next, a conversation with Jason Thompson. He's executive director of Portland Fellowship, one of my favorite ministries in the Portland metro area. And I think you'll enjoy our conversation. We'll be back.
1: You're listening to the Georgine Rice Show podcast is aired on 93.9 KPDQ.
2: Well, good afternoon and welcome back. You're listening to the Georgine Rice Show. There's a short list of people that I would put on my most favored list. And among them is Jason Thompson. He's executive director of Portland Fellowship. And it's been a while since I've had you here, Jason. And I just wanted to uh, invite you in to kind of catch up and introduce Portland Fellowship to folks who may not be familiar with the ministry. First of all. Welcome.
3: Yeah, thank you so much, Georgine. It's always always a pleasure to be with you.
2: Oh, thank you. Uh, well, Jason, let me invite you to introduce newcomers to Portland Fellowship.
3: Yeah, we used to call ourselves the church's best kept secret. I don't know if that's a proud statement, but the reality is I'm that I'm hoping
2: it's, it's less true yeah, now. Exactly. Than it was
3: then. Over the years, right? We uh, we are a ministry that serves men and women who are struggling with unwanted same sex attraction and gender confusion. And uh, it's very important to add that word unwanted because in this world where it's highly controversial, this issue very personal um it can seem like we're we're doing ministry to people who are not wanting it and so to make it very clear that we minister to those who already have a conflict between their sexuality and their faith, the Lord is already doing a work of conviction and leading, and we come alongside and support, encourage, and do discipleship. so that's our primary focus as well as Ministering to, men, uh, to, to mothers, fathers, family members who have loved ones who have embraced a gay identity, have no interest in what Portland Fellowship offers, and that is to walk in a transformational process. And so the question for, for the family and friends, our HOPE group is what we call it, is how do we love those who are in our life without compromising our biblical integrity and convictions. And that is a huge challenge. Mm-hmm. So it's an amazing place for family and friends to, friends to come together and care for one another, encourage one another, offer in, uh, tips and potentially advice. But, but really, it's about taking an honest look at, at the family unit, their own life and the way they interact. And just begin to d- deepen their trust in God as they love those who are lost and confused.
2: Yeah, love them well. You yeah. Used a phrase a moment ago: transformational process. Huh. It's not an event. This is a process. Yeah. Now, I I'm a sinner. There are areas that I struggle in, and God is so gracious to work me through toward toward holiness. You know, I, I'm not going to reach perfection in this life. But talk a little bit about what you mean by that yeah. in a culture that says, first of all, it's not um, it's not. Uh, possible and it's not something you ought to pursue
3: yeah the culture is is very loud on that in fact uh, just the very nature of what we do is such an offense to our culture today um, and yet i think there's a misunderstanding and, and exactly what you're saying is it is a process of recognizing who uh, people are in christ recognizing the brokenness that has led to the counterfeit desires and again, all these words are, are an offense to the culture, but it's it's true in the sense of God designed us to live a life that's uh, that, that he planned for male and for female, not necessarily for marriage or having a sexual a union with the same, but growing and maturing in who we are as men and women. And so that is our process, is recognizing where did something go off track, where did a a need or a wound begin to form and shape someone in a way that was not God's original intent and then lead them toward God's original intent using the word of God, uh, the the conviction of the Holy Spirit, the encouragement from the body of Christ. This is all a process. Another assumption is that it's kind of like a light switch where we pray away the gay. We say a good prayer over them, we flip the switch, and then they go from gay to straight. (laughs) And it's like... That has to be completely dismantled because of what you said, Georgine. is that in all of our lives, no matter what we struggle with, there is a process. We, we see this with just children. Mm-hmm. You don't expect a five-year-old child to, in a prayer or two <laughs> or or an event, to become a mature adult ready to get married and have kids. That's ridiculous. We would never assume that. Well, it's the same thing. There's a sense of relational brokenness, wounds, and a need to grow into the man or the woman that God designed. And so that takes a lot of patience, kindness, instruction, encouragement, humility on our part as leaders. Um, not saying, look at me, this is how it's done, follow me, but rather constantly pointing people to the Lord Jesus Christ and let him do the work of transforming hearts and minds, renewing um, the the minds that have been led astray. And as we were saying just briefly earlier is that the – the culture has has completely confused us. So the battle is great—not mm-hmm. only internal struggles that one has to deal with, but the constant pressure from the world that says that type of work, that what we call conversion therapy or or uh, manipulation of people—they um, have to wrestle through that. They have to wrestle through the church's silence on this issue and really be listening to what God calls them to walk in this wholeness and this healing that that is possible with God.
2: I know that uh, we've talked about the culture within the church. We would all agree that that God has by his Holy Spirit and through the work that he does in and through us, he transforms us. But there has been an exception carved out yeah. in which this particular area, um, God is powerless. Yeah. Can you address that? Because even within the church, this has become controversial despite the scripture's clear teaching about how God has power over the flesh and to transform us yeah. uh, and to complete the work he began in us.
3: I'm, I'm absolutely dumbfounded by that. And it's actually truly saddening to see many, not all the church, I don't throw the church under the bus, but there are so many within the church that begin to hear this message of this is the best it gets. There's a whole, whole group of individuals that would say, yeah, God didn't uh, permit homosexual behavior, but... You were born this way, and this is your label, if you will. You're a, you're a celibate gay Christian. That's who you are. Now you have to be obedient to it, and I applaud the obedience. Mm-hmm. But it's almost as though there's a whitewashed tomb mindset, or we believe in his, his his work on the cross, but we deny his power to transform lives. And that's saddening to hear because I truly believe God wants us to move toward his original intent. The, 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 again, the the thing people automatically think of is, well, then, are you talking about perfection or or never having a struggle again or 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 going from gay to straight? None of that is communicated in saying moving toward mm-hmm. his original intent. Scripture says, "Be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect." Why in the world would Scripture say be perfect when there's no way we're going to ever be perfect this side of heaven? Because that's what we move toward. And so when we lose the power of of God's transforming message and, and his ability, and we know God is able, we say this all the time, he's able. We see this with testimonies galore, people who were once wife beaters who are now free from that anger. People who were alcoholics who once had, can now lay that down and live a sober life, pleasing to the Lord. But you're right, Georgine. There's there's something about the homosexual, transgender, gender identity issues that says, "Well, well, God can't do that one." <laughs> that one, he's powerful, but not that quite powerful. And that that's sad to know and to hear. And I think is a huge obstacle for the body of Christ to come to a ministry like Portland Fellowship to walk in that wholeness and that healing.
2: Yeah, it sort of deprives an individual of the freedom that God intends. Yeah, uh, and it, it's sad to me because it it is um, a deprivation of that that yeah. freedom that God's
3: yeah. God plans. And, and, and I and I would not be st- sitting here talking to you in the your audience to say this is ethereal. I read this in some textbook. Uh, I just kind of sort of believe it. Those those people need to to walk through this process. This is my story. I was deeply confused uh, about my masculinity and my attractions and affections toward the same sex, which I call very clearly a counterfeit to what the real need was, my real need to bond with the same gender, with God the Father first, with my own father, grow in my own masculinity. And so all these things were derailing that process, and God got a hold of me. And through the ministry of Portland Fellowship that I now direct and serve at, He walked me through this process and it was not an overnight process. Mm -hmm. It was a process of continuously feasting at his table, confessing my sins to one another, walking in this process of renewing my mind and heart, being involved in the local church to build me up setbacks as well as victories. But the bottom line was my heart and my mind were always toward what he has intended, no matter my setbacks and victories it's going forward. And because of that, I can say with complete integrity that God has transformed my heart and my mind. I don't crave the counterfeit, the desire to have another man fill a void in my life or a need. But through this process of healing, there's a wholeness that's taken place that then allowed me to have amazing blessings. which I could share about those amazing blessings that I would never have imagined when I was 16 years old.
2: What you've described is really the walk of every serious believer. You may fill yeah. in the blanks with different kinds of sin. We all live in the flesh, and we all struggle with our sin nature, but what you've described is what God intends for every believer without exception.
3: Absolutely. Yeah. The, the the other sticking point is, in no matter what your struggle is, if the goal and the outcome is to just be free from alcohol, or be an abusive husband, or or pornography or homosexuality, we're on the wrong track. Mm -hmm. We're on the wrong track because the the track or the hope and the goal is to find our favor and love in the power of Jesus Christ and what he wants to do. In other words, if those temptations and struggles continue as you're going through this, so be it because God will sustain you through it because the goal is not becoming from gay to straight. The goal is becoming broken to whole. And so it's like the— The idea that he can rescue us in the fiery pit, but even if he doesn't, Scripture Mm -hmm. says. In other words, sometimes he does, sometimes he doesn't. And so if our goal is on the outcome of freedom, we're on the wrong path. Our goal needs to be on Jesus who does that freedom, and then whatever he wants to do, you will not be disappointed. Whatever that may be, you will not be disappointed.
2: Amen. We're talking with Jason Thompson. He is the executive director of Portland Fellowship. We'll continue our conversation in just a few moments. So stay with us. You're listening to the Georgine Rice Show.
1: You're listening to the Georgine Rice Show podcast. It's aired on 93.9 KPDQ.
2: Hey, welcome back. You're listening to the Georgine Rice Show. I'm continuing my conversation with the executive director of Portland Fellowship. And if you're unfamiliar with the ministry, let me encourage you to check it out. They're doing some significant ministry in our community and our affiliate with uh, similar organizations across the country who are doing great work. Anyway, Jason Thompson is executive director, and it's always a a pleasure to have you with us. Now, COVID, uh, the COVID years, as I've come to refer to them, (laughs) impacted every ministry, every walk of life. How how has that impacted Portland Fellowship and the work that you do? Because it's very relational.
3: Yeah, we have have gone for years doing a basic program uh, in-house. Uh, discipleship programs and and support programs. When COVID came along, of course, it shut everybody down for us for a moment. So we had to quickly do what a lot of people do and go, oh, what's this Zoom thing? Let's do this (laughs) Zoom thing. Well, once we started the Zoom thing, we realized... The word got out that people that were not in our local area were wanting exactly what the discipleship program offered. So we started to get calls and connection from all over the country, even outside the country, wanting to join us at Pacific time, which is 7 p.m., which means sometimes it was 1 (laughs) a.m. their Mm. time. But these were people desperate for community and connection and encouragement. So what happened with COVID, as you asked, is it broadened our ministry. It expanded it. I think it's fascinating. It's like the early church when the persecution was happening, it didn't kill the church. It expanded it. So so not for a second when I say thank you, Lord, for COVID, but, but thank you for what you did because of COVID. So we actually have expanded our ministry, uh, beyond the local area of Portland. Uh, I like to say, you know, Zoom is a, is a great provision for information, connection, prayer hearing one another's hearts, it never will um, trump the real-life in-house mm-hmm. relationship and the, the the praying the hands-on, the prayer in the same room. But what amazing provision God has offered for people out in the middle of nowhere with v- no resources but maybe a book or a blog that they can read here we have a chance to connect. So we do every week. We have a Zoom call. I run the Zoom programs. I actually love them. Most people I work with that serve help serve me hate Zoom, so they want nothing to do with it. God has somehow given me this 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 passion to want to sit on a screen and and meet people from around the country I would never have met before in my life, and it is powerful. You would think those little Zoom calls would be like a little bit awkward and in flat but it's really a chance for for god to work in each of those persons life to be honest and vulnerable about failures and victories we can pray for them encourage them in the faith and so i've been very excited by what by covid and what or at least what it did uh to advance the ministry
2: well and just like the scripture says in romans god is working all things together for the good of those who love him and are called according to his purpose so he uh, he doesn't invoke COVID, but he yep. uses every negative uh, circumstance to advance his kingdom yep. and to strengthen his w- people. What the
3: enemy intended for yes. harm, God used for good. So now it. I
2: should mention that Portland Fellowship and you in particular are highly respected around the country and around the globe for the work that you have done. Some of the programs that you have written that have extended beyond the Portland metro area have, have really had an impact in the kingdom of God. And I want to commend you for mm-hmm. that. Thank in you. fact, I um, had the opportunity to MC once again this year at the restored hope networks hope twenty 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 two 2022 conference in June. And um, you received the best new healing resources um, for hope group, the online program. And that's a national award. You were recognized for that. Uh, because it's having such an impact here at home and certainly abroad. And you've been innovative in developing curricula for the breaking ground and, and different ministries that are really impacting not just here in Portland, which was would be significant enough, but in places beyond um, our borders and uh, in other parts of the world as well. So I just want to commend you for mm, your faithfulness, you. your innovations, your, your um focusing all of your uh, considerable talent for the ministry that is reaching people all over the globe. And I think... Uh, people here in Portland should be aware of the significance of this ministry and the, your role in it.
3: Oh, thank you so much! It actually was a lot of fun. I, I've, I've worked there now for oh, thirty years, been there for thirty-three years, and each year it's like, Lord, I need some 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 new exciting project or an opportunity to minister in a different way. Never losing the core message; it's never changed, mm-hmm. not one iota. We're we're very actually very simple in our message. It, it's 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 a, just a two two sentence byline, really. But the way we carry that out has grown, has advanced, and uh, I just am grateful to the Lord for the people that come around to help doing the editing and the filming and all these things that have allowed us to, frankly, reach the world.
2: Mm -hmm. Yeah, to develop a resource that's, um, again, innovative, it's... uh, What's the word I'm, I'm looking for? It's relevant, and people are really being ministered to. We'll talk a little bit about the Hope Group online. Who is it for, and what, what takes place in these connections? Yeah,
3: we, we did have Hope Group online. We just recently changed it to pfhope.com, so that's, and it's all found at portlandfellowship.com if mm-hmm. people get lost, because what we were initially doing was having a video track for family and friends. Again, as I mentioned earlier, how do you love well without compromising? That's a tremendously difficult process um and so we have a track for that another ministry came alongside us and did a track for transgender uh, understanding and then we created one for the summer called the journey and that wasn't is less about family and friends and more for people who are, who are just getting their feet wet with this and wanting to know do i want to commit to a two year process mm-hmm. which is our taking background program and so it's a, a 8 week video series about 10 minute little video clips with a with some questions and a handout and we spent once a week for an hour and a half working through and it's a really a parallel between the process of the Israelites coming out of bondage in Egypt through the wilderness to the promised land then we made the equate equated that to bondage in your sin trusting god in the wilderness and what is this promised land ultimately that's mm-hmm. our lord jesus christ and yet we get we get shadows of that in this world, about freedom and walking in His kingdom, so it was really quite a, a, a fun thing to meet new people, come on in, and work through some stuff that was actually pretty challenging for people. But because yeah. uh, we're looking at Old Testament and how God responded to the people, and so how that it correlates to to now uh, was a challenge, but a wonderful one. So that's on our site as well, and that's our hope is to continue to create little tracks for maybe pastors. Wives that have love their husbands who are who are struggling with this, and wives go through a whole different ball game of just of of feeling betrayed and how to respond and and how to love the husband well. So we're hoping to put things like that together in the years to come. i got a few more years left in me, so I figure we'll <laughs> I do a so. few more to go. You're
2: still a young man. I feel
3: old, but yes, I how,
2: how is the church connecting with Portland Fellowship? And I'm thinking more of the local church. I know there are churches elsewhere, but um, is the church connecting with and taking full advantage of the tremendous resource that you have to offer? I,
3: I, I truly want to stay just really positive as a Christian should. It's like, yes, the church blesses <laughs> us and joins us. Sadly, there's and and I don't totally fault the church for this. Maybe I should, but I don't (laughs) fault that there is. This is so controversial, and that if you speak in terms of redemption and transformation, you could talk about it in the light of sin. But we have to unpack that. You can't just say it's sin. You got to explain why, what God's original intent is, what His purpose is, and anything outside of that is contrary to God's will, and so it's sin. So when a church is wanting to focus on bringing new people in and discipling the the, the people of God, and then you bring in this topic that already is just a, a hot button for people, it, it it can cause pastors and leaders to say let's let's not go there, mm. let's just not go there. I now think this
2: is despite the fact that there may be congregants. Yeah, who are struggling with these issues. Yeah, just
3: struggling, but also congregants that are have loved ones who are gay and they love their gay loved one and yeah. don't think they need to change. And then it's all of a sudden you got you got fists bumping and figuring mm. out. So there, what really needs to happen is talk about God's purpose and plan to share with the people of God using God's word. It's got to be done with grace and truth always. And I think the church has erred on the side of truth to where now it's like, well, wait a minute, let's just not talk about it at all. Mm-hmm. And conversely, there's a lot of churches, and this this grieves my heart more than any of it, more than the silence, is churches that are extending this this kind of artificial grace or this greasy grace, some people would call it, where it's like, God's, God loves you, end of story, period, no matter where you're at, he loves you. No more to the discussion you're gay he lo- he loves you and i'm like he loves you enough not to leave you in your brokenness is what needs to be added to that conversation. And that's
2: the story of every believer. Exactly. Um, why would he leave one particular group and, and you know make again the exception? Exactly. I don't see that inscription.
3: We we cannot separate. Now there are nuances with same sex attraction that need to be identified. That's different than maybe somebody with anger issues. There are there there are things going on. There are certain wounds that are different ways mm-hmm. you perceive yourself about your gender. That a typical guy dealing with pornography isn't necessarily dealing with those things. So it's okay to parcel them out and work through those things, but at the bottom line we all fall short of the glory of God and the answer is always the same and that's our Lord Jesus. Yeah. Now how we how we walk that journey out can be a little different here and there, but the answer is always the same.
2: Always the same. Yeah. We're talking with Jason Thompson, he's the executive director of Portland Fellowship. Quick break and we'll be back. You're listening to the Georgine Rice show.
1: You're listening to the Georgine Rice show podcast. Is aired on 93.9 KPDQ.
2: Hey, welcome back. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show. I'm talking with Jason Thompson. He is the Executive Director of Portland Fellowship. It's a tremendous ministry in our community, but its reach extends far beyond the Portland metro area, the state of Oregon, all around the world with some of the... Uh, amazing ministry tools that they have developed by the way if you'd like to learn more you can go to their website at portlandfellowship.com we've been talking about a number of things the journey we've been talking about taking background and other uh, programs that you have and if you are a, a church leader and you would like to learn more how do I speak to a congregation in a way that is consistent with a biblical worldview that is spoken in grace and puts it in perspective that is is uh, that reflects God's heart Portland fellowship can help you do that and I I am so appreciative of the work that you do and how you address the issue um, that is uh, that does reflect the Father's heart, uh, but at the same time gives us the opportunity to, to seek freedom uh, through the work of oh, His Holy it's Spirit. It's been such
3: a joy to have you as a, a friend of the ministry, for, uh, frankly, as long as I remember being there. I've been a long time, so, but also a personal friend. So thank you for standing alongside, even with such pressure that exists out there, mm. but to hold to God's truth. In Him, we're gonna we're gonna be fine. <laughs> it's yeah. like told history.
2: Yeah, and I, you know, I've had the opportunity at Portland Fellowship events and Restored mm-hmm. Hope Network events to hear the amazing testimonies of God's grace and the work in the lives of individuals, whether they were um, same sex attracted or they were uh, transgender uh, at some point. It's amazing to hear what God is doing, mm-hmm. and uh, sadly, and I think this is the enemy's primary goal is to silence those voices so we don't hear them and have any hope at all. Um, But I I just am grateful because I've seen what God is doing. So you can't help but press ahead once you.
3: Absolutely. I could not be here after 30 years. Are you kidding me? Without seeing not only in my own life, but the men and women who come through this process and see victory after victory. Again, you have to see this in a maturation process, a slow, transforming, sanctifying work. But each step of the way, there's, there's those moments to celebrate God doing a deeper work in each mm-hmm. person's life. And that, that's the joy that keeps me going on. It's, it's not the curriculum or the resources, those are fun to do, but it's seeing God at work in his people.
2: Absolutely, and that ought to be the joy of the whole church. That's, know, right. That's, right. That, uh, That's right. Seeing that, seeing that he's keeping his promises. Now, what can we do as the general public, as the the Church of Jesus Christ? What can we do to support you, to encourage the work, to come alongside, even if we're not uh, directly tied to this issue? How can we encourage you in this ministry?
3: Yeah, I mean, obviously, the the golden parachute answer, if you will, is to pray. I uh, the. the the attack is is so great at times. The spiritual warfare is tough at times. I'm 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 sharing right now with you with a lot of glee and happiness and joy. But if you take me to those moments where it's like the mm. pressure and the insults and and uh, the controversy that and even some of my own vulnerabilities and 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 moments where it's like not leading perfectly at times, it's all those things can be a pressure. So just asking the body of Christ to pray for Portland Fellowship. Um, we know that no matter what, that with that, God is going to do miraculous things. Um, to also hear this message, a simple message that I'm sharing today is that is recognizing that homosexuality is not a fixed state. It's not a genetic inborn state, but most importantly, there's hope and freedom for those who are struggling with this issue. And for those who aren't struggling, who are embracing it, I've heard over and over again. This is what's in a fascinating story that I hear throughout ministry is that people who are, who are pro gay, they're, they're Christian, gay Christian or whatever, pro gay, and they are, um, maybe even advocates to the gay community. They come to me. This isn't a ton of stories, but enough for me to go, this is fascinating. They know every day they're not, this is not true. That this is not right. They know in the in the heart of hearts that the, that still small voice of the spirit of God convicting. And so to pray for those people who seem lost and deceived and angry and bitter and hurt, I pray for those because I've seen it. Or people I, just recently a story like that where it's like I'm done fighting it. I want to return to the Lord and trust mm-hmm. Him with my sexuality. And so uh, one of the grievous areas of my ministry is watching people who I've served alongside. Who buy into the lie again? Who fall into the trap? Who indulge the flesh? Flesh, and um, and my prayer for them is they'd return that God is gracious. He stands at the door and knocks and says, "Please let me in. I wanna I wanna be part of your your life and and welcome you into wholeness and healing." That's found in me and so pray 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 obviously the support of the ministry uh, you know I, I don't emphasize sp- financial support but obviously that's part of the, the the journey but God has always been faithful through donors we have a small donor base you want to be part of our, our family <laughs> it's not a huge family uh, we'd love to have you a part of that um, so coming alongside sharing the message of transformation and wholeness going to your pastor and letting them know to not be shy about this but but to do it in a way that's filled with love and grace. That's how That's how Jesus did. He first met mm-hmm. people where they're at. He listened well. He offered up grace, whether it's giving some water or healing, whatever, and then he gave truth and instruction. That's kind of the format, and we need to do the same thing. Don't dive in there with the truth. You know sin is wrong, <laughs> or a gay <laughs> is wrong. Uh, so uh, to really enter into the relationship in a way that, that, that fosters a, the love of Christ for them, and brings them through a journey of wholeness and healing one day. Mm,
2: and that's that's entirely possible, because um, while my set of sins might be different, that's how God ministered to that's my heart. Right. That's how I came to know him. I, I,
3: lo- I love that about each time you're saying this, because it's absolutely true. It's not a unique story. Mm-hmm. We're all fallen. And so, yeah, the nuance is different, but yeah. Yeah. We can plug our own sin. My wife is actually helping out in the Taking Back Ground program. For She hasn't done that for years, and she doesn't struggle with this issue. But but the ladies really identify with her because she can enter into this and say, these are my issues and my struggles. I'm no different. And there's a commonality and understanding and even a measure of normalcy, not in in an affirmation way, but in a way that says we all fall short. And we're all in this together. Yeah,
2: it's as if that's where I don't know in the Bible.
3: Yeah, <laughs> yeah, somewhere I think it was like
2: <laughs> Now, let me um, ask you to to speak for just a moment to family members and friends who are concerned about a loved one. Uh, the relationship may be um, intact, it may be non-existent. Maybe there are bridges that have already been burned, but they desperately love and yeah. long to have relationship with their loved ones who have walked away into a lifestyle that is inconsistent with their, their Christian worldview. Uh, by way of encouragement, what can you say to those who want to perhaps go through a program that can help them understand yeah. and then to relate in a way uh, that extends that grace and love without compromise? Yeah, quickly,
3: the first two things you said are reiterate, and that is to keep loving. Loving well. And love as Christ does. Love does not mean affirmation and endorsement of sin. That's the a confusion I think people are wrestling with, that I have to somehow accept this, to be loving. No, no, love is is hard. But keep loving, keep praying for your loved one. Recognizing the story's not over yet, and God has more resources than you can possibly imagine to to reach your loved one. As far as you personally walking through this, there's there's lots of good books on it. I love Joe Dallas's books on this issue. He's one of my favorite. He is my favorite. Yeah, mine too. Cy Rogers, the late Cy Rogers, has amazing stuff too. We personally have a program we put together. It's called the Hope Group online. Uh, it's a video series, and we actually offer it on Zoom. We're just finishing up for this year, but we'll probably re- start it up again so we can get parents together, watch the videos together, and process the material together. I, I like to to be honest and upfront. It's a little bit of a bait and switch. Parents come in because their son is gay or daughter is gay, and they want to know how to fix them. And when they come in, we're like, let's take a look at your own heart first. Mm. Let's take a look at your walk with the Lord I know that's not what you signed up for, but let's do this and see how what God does in you can then overflow to your loved one, whether it's communication, your heart, your love for them, your love for the Lord. And so uh, it's that can be the challenge. Like, pause. We're not going to talk about your son for a moment. Uh, so I don't want to scare you, scare any parents away. I think it's a wonderful journey of, of allowing God. It's the idea of search me, O oh God, and know yes. my heart. Try me. Know me. And then allow—and then fill me. And, and ultimately, my hope is that the overflow of what God fills you with is what your loved ones might experience and see in their life. And, and it's an encouragement place as well, just to know that we can't fix our loved ones. We need to put them in the hands of the one who can, our, our Lord Jesus. And so it's really a great encouragement uh, to, to um, do that with one another in a place where we're not going to be shaming, not going to be ridiculing. There's a lot of patience and grace for mistakes um but a beautiful community of of growing together.
2: Amen. Well again Jason Thompson is the executive director of Portland Fellowship. You can check them out online at portlandfellowship.com and is calling a good way to connect as well. Yeah
3: uh, yeah calling um you know uh, email is is easy to um The website is a great place to just get the big picture Mm -hmm. if anybody has any questions. I encourage anyone to call with the toughest questions you have. It doesn't mean I'm going to have the answer for it because I'm not the the know-it-all, but I love it when people call and say, I want to know what you really believe here. Because there's so many different voices. I personally wouldn't trust someone just because they have a Christian Mm -hmm. and a homosexual attached label on their ministry. I don't. In fact, I'm leery of some of them. And so if— If you're leery at all of of Portland Fellowship, or you're just uncertain about things, we welcome the call, a coffee appointment. I mean, I get to work there full-time. The God has given me the the opportunity to work there full-time, so that's what I get to do, is sit with parents, have coffee, go to lunch, come to my office, and ask the tough stuff, and let's wrestle through this together.
2: Amen. Portlandfellowship.com, the telephone number, 503-235-6364, and I'll make sure to put the uh, Email address on the Georgine Rice Show Facebook page or kpdq.com. Uh, this afternoon as well. Jason, thank mm. you for your faithfulness. Thank I Thank you. you so much for your team that works alongside you. They do great mm. work and I'm grateful that God has put you right here in the Portland metro area to do the ministry that's touching the world.
3: Awesome. Thank you, Georgine. Thank you.
2: Hey, you're listening to the Georgine Rice Show. Tomorrow on the program, we'll talk with, with uh, Ariel Del Turco. She's with the Family Research Council, Center for Religious Liberty. We're going to talk about the persecuted church and Tamar Miller, Odd Moms Out, God's Redemptive Grace in the Lives of father Five biblical mothers who may not fit the profile you would expect. That's coming up tomorrow right here on the Georgine Rice Show. I want to thank James Blend for producing, Sam Moppin for engineering, and thank you for making the Georgine Rice Show part of your day. Have a great night.
1: Thanks for listening to the Georgine Rice Show podcast. If you'd like to download a podcast of the show, or would like more information on today's guests, please visit the show at kpdq.com or on Facebook. Follow the show on Twitter at grice show, and like us on Facebook.